0: See the whole bad boy. Discussion I had with our president and Mr. David Chappelle. The performances on Saturday have been canceled. (laughs) Are you serious? I'm serious. However, there has been a change in plans. We will be traveling to New York. (laughs) comprehend a concept like purpose a oh, word yeah. the earth is mine by divine prophecy I'm told I am free if I'm meek in greetings. The heart and greetings Cody my chestnut the head for masterpiece by the grace of Almighty God here for the celebration miss' so having a block party on Saturday around the corner. All you need to do is bring yourself. Bring yourself. Bring yourself to the block party, won't you? The block party! Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hope. Uh, My name is Scott Raines. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you've joined us for worship today. I'll just let you know up front, I am not much of a concert goer. I'm pretty sure the last concert I went to was at the Iowa State Fair. It was Pat Benatar and REO Speedwagon. And I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. The real reason you go to a concert like that, though, is for the theology of the lyrics. Right? That's supposed to be funny. Nobody laughs when I say that. Anyway, I'll I'll rewrite it next. Anyway, uh, this song, Keep on Loving You by Ario, here's the lyrics. And I meant every word I said. When I said that I loved you, I meant that I loved you forever. That sounds like God, doesn't it? God in the person of Jesus Christ has spoken. God has said something. God has said, I love you. I love this world. And I mean when I say When I say I love you, I'm going to love you forever. I'm going to love you for eternity. Go ahead and turn to somebody close and just tell them, God loves you. Eli, God loves you. God loves you. I I don't know about you. I I think a lot of times this is difficult for us to actually believe and and to remember and to trust. I mean, do you wake up every morning just like, oh, yeah, another day where I am so assured of God's love for me? Here's how Paul talks about God's love in Romans 6.23. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How do you feel about free gifts? I think most of us would like that. But at the same time, we've sort of been trained throughout our life to be a little skeptical of free gifts. Make sure you read the fine print. There's always a catch. And so when it comes to the free gift of eternal life, because of God's love and because of God's grace, there's something inside us that's just like, I don't know, seems a little too easy. Uh, The clip we watched at the beginning of the message is from a movie called Dave Chappelle's Block Party. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen it. Fifteen years ago, uh, this comedian had an idea of throwing a party in a rundown neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. He invites a bunch of his friends who just happen to be hip-hop stars to throw a free concert, and he goes up and down the streets of Brooklyn with a megaphone just inviting people to the party. Get yourself to the party, right? Get yourself to the party. Very theological idea there as well. I mean, Jesus on, uh, on the scene trying to help people understand something we can't really understand, who God is, God's, God's love for us, what God's desire is for our life. And Jesus would tell stories to try to help us get it. And a couple of the stories Jesus tells, remember, God is like someone who's wanting to throw this massive party and just wants to invite everyone, goes out into the streets, just inviting everyone to get yourself to the party. I think most of us, that's not our, one of our primary images of who God is, that God is throwing a party and we are invited. Now, you might say, if Dave Chappelle invited you to his block party that he's hosting, it's going to have a bunch of hip hop music at it. You might be like, no, thanks. I'm not really that kind of a concert person, but the party God is throwing, everyone's going to want to be there. Everyone's going to want to be there. And not just because of fear of what's going to happen to us if we're not at God's party, but because God's party is a gift. He has this life for us of joy and peace and hope and love. And you are invited. Get yourself to the party. Throughout the month of August, we've been working our way through the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet 700 years before Jesus pointing people to the coming of the Messiah, pointing people to Jesus. We get to Isaiah 53 today, which is actually a pretty familiar passage, especially in the context of like Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter. We're going to hear some very familiar sounding verses uh, in this passage. But even though the verses are familiar, I hope you understand these are unexpected things that Isaiah is saying about God. God's going to become a human being. God is willingly going to suffer. God is going to die. Isaiah in 53 is pointing people to the cross of Jesus, and it's unexpected. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, people don't really know what to do with Jesus because he's not necessarily living up to their expectations. Uh, John chapter 6 is a a primary example of how this plays out. John chapter 6 begins, and everything is going great. Uh, Jesus has huge crowds of people following him because they love what he is doing. Uh, It begins with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We're told there's 5,000 men there. If you add on the women and the children, some scholars think it's probably a crowd of 15,000, 20,000 people. Who knows? Huge crowd of people. And Jesus ends up feeding all of them with just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. And at the end of it, in John 6, 14, they're pretty excited about what's going on. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. He's living up to their expectations. He's doing the kinds of things they expect God to do, miracles, healing. At this point in John's gospel, Jesus has already overthrown uh, the tables of the moneylenders in the temple. And so part of what they see Jesus doing already in the story is taking people who are being oppressed and calling out the oppressors and saying, knock it off. So the people really like Jesus at this point. So much so, the next verse, verse 15 says, they're ready to crown Jesus king. But Jesus doesn't allow it. He slips away by himself into the hills, is what the story says. Because Jesus is not interested in being the God we expect, he's interested in being the God we need. This crowd of people, though, they want to be where Jesus is, so they figure out where he slipped away, and they end up finding him as you read through the story in John chapter 6. John says there's still a crowd of people there. We don't know exactly how big the crowd is at that point. Is it still as big as it was at the miracle? Who knows? But it's a crowd of people, and they have all kinds of questions for Jesus. But one of the interesting things that happens as they ask Jesus question after question after question, it does not take very long before they start to be dissatisfied With Jesus' answers. And like Jesus is no longer saying the kinds of things they want to hear from Jesus. He's not doing the kinds of things that they want to be doing. He's no longer living up to their expectations. And the whole kind of encounter ends in verse 66 with what some people call the saddest verse in the Bible. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Not not just... Onlookers, not just people in the periphery of the crowd, his disciples, many of them turned away and deserted him. Last week, Pete reminded us uh, there was this phrase in Jesus' day, covered with the dust of the rabbi, that disciples would follow and pursue their, their leader, their teacher, their rabbi so closely they'd literally eat their dust. These are people who were passionate about Jesus, but when he stops doing what they expect, they turn away and desert him. No longer following Jesus, no longer pursuing Jesus. They stop walking with Jesus. In the middle of Dave Chappelle's block party, Kanye West takes the stage with John Legend, and they sing a song called, Jesus Walks. Take a look. My mama used to say, only Jesus can save us. Well, mama, I know I act a fool. But I'll be gone to the river. I got packs to move. I oh, It's yeah. I' just trying to say the way. Yeah. We need Jesus the way need to yes. the way we need Jesus Now I, realize, I realize we don't need the subtitles, because you already know the lyrics of that one. <laughs> and actually, the worship team's going to lead us in that song for our closing song in a little bit. Uh, they're right, though, right? Uh, Jesus, we all need Jesus to walk with us. And then life happens. And things happen that we don't understand, that that we don't particularly like, that are confusing, hurts happen. Jesus isn't doing what we expect Jesus to do, and it's easy for us to stop walking with Jesus. School starting for a lot of people this week. It's back to school week. Our two oldest kids are in college now. And uh, Dalton's going to a, a school in Minnesota. Hadley's going to a school in Wisconsin. Apparently, they start school later in the fall. They don't have to go until after Labor Day. So my wife, Wendy, and I still have a couple of weeks before we're complete emotional wrecks. But I've already made appointments with Eli, and we're going to be fine. We're going <laughs> to make our way through it. Uh, Dalton, a couple of weeks ago, decided um, he wants to go back to school with a different car you know still a used car but just nicer and newer than what he's been driving the last 4 years and so last couple of weeks we've been looking and we finally found a, a car that checks all the boxes it, it's a car he can afford and that his mother and I think is safe and reliable so um It's in Hudson, Iowa, just outside of Waterloo, uh, Cedar Falls. I said, Dalton, it's perfect. We'll go up on Saturday morning. We'll we'll get the car. We'll do all the paperwork. And then on the way home, I can just kind of be talking through my message. We'll be back in time for the 5 o'clock service. It'll be great. Dalton didn't think that was a great idea. And I know what you're thinking. No, he doesn't think he wants to ride for two hours while his dad preaches at him. That's not what he was thinking. He said, Dad, I have Thursday off from work. What, what, it's such a great car, it's such a great deal, what if somebody buys it before Saturday? Let's just go, please can we go up on Thursday? Now if you're new to Hope, here's one of the things you need to understand, a detail that is important for this story. When it's my week to preach, Thursday is sermon writing day. And so I, I don't schedule anything on Thursday so that I can pray and meditate and study and write life-changing messages. <laughs> and then go to confession for my pride, right? Um, <laughs> But because he's my son, my oldest son, whom I love, I said, I'll sacrifice sermon writing day. If we leave early enough, maybe we can get back by noon, and I'll still have time to work on a sermon. We get up there, and I don't know when the last time you had to buy a car was. Right? People who work at car dealerships like to talk and talk and talk. and I, This salesman is just talking. Our, and we're like... We brought the check with us. We just want to buy the dang thing. We don't need to haggle. We certainly don't need life insurance as part of this purchase. I don't understand where that fits in and extended warranties and all that sort of stuff. Finally, we get done with the salesman and and we get to the guy who does the paperwork, the financial side of things, not a salesman. So I thought maybe this will go uh, quickly. He just talks and talks and talks. So where do you work, Dalton? Do you like your job? Where do you go to school? Uh, Northfield, Minnesota. Oh, that reminds me of a joke. Why do all the trees in Iowa lean north? Minnesota sucks. <laughs> he actually said that to us. And then he says to me, what do you do, Scott? I said, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, how's it going getting ready for the weekend? I said, not good. This is sermon writing day. And you just keep, I'm going to have to pull something out of the archives if you don't shut up. He, I didn't say that. I might've thought it. He did not take the hint. He leaned back in his chair and he crossed his arms and he got his far away look in his eyes. And he says, my father-in-law is a retired pastor and church for the next 30 minutes. We listened to his story of his life of faith. And it was actually beautiful. He talked about how his family growing up, they went to church every weekend. They went to church camp every summer. When he was in middle school and high school, he went to a Christian school. He went to a Christian college where he met his wife, whose father is a pastor. But at one point in this story, he said to me, you know what? For, for almost all of my life, I've just felt like I'm not a good Christian. And I interjected at that point. I said, where's that phrase come from anyway? Good Christian, bad Christian? What? Why do we put those kind of labels on this thing? And Dalton said to me later, he thought the guy was going to start crying in that moment. And he he says to me, my wife and I, we moved back to Waterloo, Cedar Falls several years ago, and we found a church that has changed everything for us because it's a church that reintroduced us to Jesus, that reintroduced us to grace. And he said, finally, for the first time in my life, I understand it is not about what I have to do, but it's all about believing in what God has already done for me through Jesus Christ. And I looked at that car dealership employee in the eye, and I said, I think God is writing my sermon for me right now as we're having this conversation. It's not about what we do. Our faith is not about what we do. It's about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. This is like the foundational truth of Christianity. It's what distinguishes Christianity from any other religion in in the world. It is all about grace. But even though it's this foundational, and really it's kind of this simple idea I think it's an idea for most of us. It is the journey of a lifetime to actually figure out how to trust that, how to to really believe that, how to live out of that truth that it's not about what I do. In the middle of this fascinating chapter, John chapter 6, at the beginning they want to crown him king, at the end they walk away and desert him. But right in the middle, the crowd has a pretty important question for Jesus. We want to perform, oh, back, back, back. We want to perform God's works too, they said. What should we do? What should we do? I don't know how you would answer that question. What do we need to do to please God? What do we need to do to make sure God's not angry with us? What do we need to do to make sure that God loves us, God accepts us, God approves of us? In a room like this, we're probably going to get hundreds of different answers to a question like that. But let's read together how Jesus answers the question. It's verse 29. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Only thing to do, believe in Jesus. Oh, good. So I don't have to go to worship, right? I just have to believe. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to serve people. I just have to be- eh, We'll get there. I just wonder how that sits within you. You don't have to do anything. The only thing you have to do is believe. Think about this guy in the car dealership. He told me he had believed in Jesus his whole life, and then something started to change recently. This is actually one of our core values at Hope. Following Jesus is a growing experience. That the more we follow after Jesus, things start to change. Growth takes place inside of us. It's not like this guy wasn't a Christian before, and now all of a sudden he's a Christian. It's not like he was following the wrong Jesus before, now all of a sudden he's following the right Jesus. No, he's just growing. His faith is growing. And in particular, a certain aspect of his faith, a certain element or characteristic of his faith is growing. It's his trust, his belief in God's love for him that's growing. Here's the way the Apostle Paul tries to describe it in Ephesians chapter 3. If you are like that guy and you've been believing in Jesus for years and years and years, as I read through this, see if it rings true for your life and for your experience. If you're not sure what you think about Jesus, if you're still kind of exploring, still kind of questioning and, and wondering, as I read through this, see if it feels like good news to you. How does God's love grow? in us. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. When I think of all this, Paul writes, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, just think about that. The the God who is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth has glorious, unlimited resources. I pray that he will use those resources to empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So this is the idea. Once we understand God's love for us, then things start to flow out of it. There's still plenty to do, but we do it flowing out of this knowledge and awareness of God's love. The Holy Spirit is what fuels us. It's not our own efforts. And Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. All, the only work you have to do, Jesus says, is believe in me. Because when you believe in me, God's going to empower you to do really good things, but it's not going to be work. It's going to be flowing out of a life of love, a life of the Spirit. Believing in Jesus means believing in God's love for you, a love that's too great for you to fully understand, but a love you can understand more and experience more tomorrow than you do today. Now, let me stop there and just say a word about who we are. And, and I don't mean who we are as Lutheran Church of Hope. I mean who we are as people who find ourselves living in central Iowa, living in, in this particular part of the world. And I'm, I'm speaking in broad generality, so maybe you'll say, oh, he's not talking about me, and, and that's fine, that's great. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. But this is who we are. We're doers, we're achievers, we're performers we love to start things, to build things. At the end of the day, we like to look back at everything we have accomplished. And there's something that's really, 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 really good about that, actually, that that God uses this. God leverages this for the sake of God's work in the world. Two weeks ago, Pastor Pastor Caroline was talking to us about the prophetic vision that you see from the Old Testament prophets, that you see from Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king, this call to the more we live this life of faith, how we start to live is a life where we act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. And as we do that, it actually makes this world a better place to live. Now, last week, Pete, our director of youth and family ministry, was saying, again, this prophetic vision that we read about in the Old Testament and that is fulfilled in Jesus, it's how do we embrace things that we don't know, that we don't understand in order to advance the kingdom of God, in order to grow, in order to move forward. And, And I see God doing that through the ministry of Lutheran Church of Hope, all of our campuses. God's making this a better place to live, a better community, better marriages, better families, better schools. It's really good to be doers and achievers and performers. But like anything, our greatest strength can also be our greatest weakness. And particularly when it comes to faith, if we continue, because it works in pretty much every area of our life to do and to perform and to achieve, it works for us, but it doesn't work when it comes to faith. And so the dark side, the shadow side of that, where it becomes a weakness, it can be summarized in this one word, earning earning, that we do, we do, we do, in order to somehow earn the approval and the acceptance of the people in our lives who matter the most. Think about kids going back to school this week. How, how much worry and stress so many of them have, because what do I have to do? How hard am I going to have to work to get the approval and acceptance of my peers, my classmates, my teachers, my coaches, my parents? Heard about a ninth grade girl. Uh, Her parents said to her, here's your cell phone, and if you get straight A's this semester, you get to keep the cell phone next semester. If you don't get straight A's this semester, no cell phone for the whole next semester. There's nothing wrong with challenging kids to do the best they can do at school. But for crying out loud, raise your hand if you did not get straight A's. Don't, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Most of us don't. Most people cannot get straight A's. And so the primary message that ninth grade girl is receiving from her parents, unless I perform perfectly, I will be punished. Unless I perform perfectly, I will be punished. And I think in the deep places of our hearts that most of the time we work so hard so that we don't have to actually pay attention to, most of us have a similar motivation or a similar fear. If I don't perform perfectly, I will be punished as a parent, as an employee, as a Christian. When when we're doers and achievers and performers, when it comes to faith, it's so easy to think I can do something to somehow earn God's love and approval and acceptance, and I can do something to earn grace. Several years ago, there was a story of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company out for a drive with his wife and... They were running low on fuel, so they pull into a gas station to fill up, and he goes inside to get a drink and a snack, and he comes back out, and he sees his wife engage in a conversation with one of the employees at that gas station. It turned out they had gone to high school together. They had even dated for a while in high school. Conversation ends, and the CEO and his wife get in the car, and they drive away, and silence for the first couple of miles, but you can tell the husband's feeling pretty good about himself. And finally, he breaks the silence by saying to his wife, I bet I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're sure glad you married me, a CEO, and not that guy who's working as a gas station. And she looked at him with kind of confused look on her face. She goes, no, that's not what I was thinking at all. I was thinking if I had married him, he'd be CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and you'd be working at a gas station. (laughs) And we all have a little bit of that CEO in us, don't we? We want the pride of being self-made people. That it was all me, it was all my work, it was all my effort, my skill, my planning. And put it in the context of faith. We want grace the old-fashioned way. We want to earn it. Isaiah 53 shows us the futility of that way of thinking. Here's verse 6. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Isaiah is saying, we're those people in John chapter 6. That when Jesus stops living up to our expectation, when he stops doing what we expect him to do and, and saying the things we expect him to say, we stop following him. We leave God's path and we go down our own path. And because we're so good, so skilled, so talented, it actually works for a while. But eventually the crash comes. And eventually we, we realize we actually don't have what it takes to get through life on our own strength. Our path is the path of earning, God's path is the path of grace. I was talking to a guy in our church who's going through a rough stretch earlier this week. I was talking to him. And I said, Well, like, how are you doing? And his response I thought was so good, so interesting. He said, I just feel beat up. I just feel beat up. And I always wonder when I stand up here on a weekend, what's going on in the lives of people? How many people are in that kind of a place? I think a lot of us feel beat up a lot of the times. But we live in a part of the world where we don't actually have the freedom to admit that, to admit how hard life is. How hard marriage is, parenting, uh, being a kid, going to school, going to work, and you throw on top of that health issues that pop up, you throw on top of that deaths of people in your life that matter so much, and it's so easy to get to these places in our lives where we're just crushed by the weight of our disappointment and our perceived uh, failings and our imperfections. And when we're in those kinds of places where we're feeling beat up and everything is going wrong, it's really easy for us to buy into a lie that says, oh yeah, this is God punishing me because I haven't been performing perfectly enough. That's why all this bad stuff is happening in my life. God's punishing me. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And Isaiah blows up this lie. Here's verse five. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Jesus comes to this earth out of love for us. He calls us to follow after him, knowing full well we will reject him, we will betray him, we will turn our backs on him, we will choose our path instead of God's path. Jesus still comes, not to condemn, not to punish, comes to save us and the language that isaiah has around salvation is just beautiful here's how god's going to save you he's going to heal you and make you whole god's going to save you he's going to heal you and make you whole when we're feeling just crushed by everything that's going on we're feeling this burden of our sin the guilt and the shame God wants to save you, heal you, make you whole. This is Frank Warren. Frank Warren, several years ago, was running a small business in, uh, I can't remember the name of the town, Germantown, Maryland. He had this idea for a community art project, and so he got a whole bunch of postcards kind of similar to the pieces of paper on your seats when you came in to worship today and he just kind of scattered them around his community on one side he had uh, his address his mailing address and on the other side he said make some sort of a creative way of confessing a secret something that you've never told anyone before something that is true And he got thousands of replies back. So many, And they keep coming in year after year after year. No longer runs a small business. Instead, he runs a website, postsecret.com. He did a TED Talk called Half a Million Secrets. Over 3 million views of his TED Talk. I want to share with you some of the postcards that people sent in to Frank Warren. I found these stamps as a child. And I've been waiting all my life to have someone to send them to. I never did have someone my whole life just being all alone no stressful job or rush hour traffic no medical bills or family responsibilities I want to break into prison <laughs> life is so hard it's such a struggle it's such what what actually feels like salvation would be going to prison I mail my Christmas cards obscenely early because I'm afraid if I don't, no one will send me one. We all have this person in our life, don't we? It's Thanksgiving and I'm getting the Christmas card already. It makes us mad. What if this year, instead of making us mad, we said a little prayer that somehow God would meet them in whatever that is, that feeling of inadequacy or being unlovable. People think I've stopped lying, but I've just gotten better at it. One final one. I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. <laughs> that is awful. <laughs> so we want to give you some time to think about what, what's that secret shame, that hidden guilt in your life. And you can write it down today if you want to. We've got a wheelbarrow, actually, at the foot of the cross. If you want to throw something in there and trust that God can take your sin and forgive it and give you grace, you're free to do that. If you want to take it home and think about it for a while, you sure can do that as well. I want to show you one more clip from this movie, Dave Chappelle's Block Party. He throws the block party in Brooklyn, New York, but... Early on, he goes back home uh, where he grew up in Dayton, Ohio. And that's where he runs into that band, Central State um, University. And he gets that band to come, and they play with these hip-hop stars for the concert. It's just great. But he also goes throughout town to to people who had impacted him in his life, and he gives them golden tickets. It's going to pay for transportation and food and housing, and you can come to the concert. It's all free. Everything's taken care of. You just have to come. You just have to show up. One of the things that surprised me about this movie when I was uh, watching it was how faith is kind of interwoven all through it. Now, don't get me wrong, it is not a family-friendly film. Uh, have you seen the T-shirt, I Love Jesus But I Cuss a Little? Yeah. Um, not a family-friendly film. But faith is, faith is at the heart of this event. They gather all the musicians and artists together before the concert and they pray and they ask God to do something good and important through what they're about to do. And at one point in the film, he actually interviews this really interesting couple who lives on the block where the block party is happening. And they live in this real rundown building. It's their home and their business. They call the business Broken Angel. And here's why. Take a look. We thank you just for being here with us. We thank you for this day, God. The sun is shining. They said it's supposed to rain, but God, you letting your face show that you want us here. You want every soul here right now. We thank you for this message that you're sending through all these people. We thank you for bringing day to bring us together. We dream to this day and we ask that you just utilize our souls and our spirits and our voices to glorify you and all that we do. We don't forget people that's poor. We don't forget those that's at war right now. We don't forget our, our comrades that's in prison. We don't forget our children, God, and we pray that you can just be through us and live through us so that we can raise our people up and raise ourselves up. And we put you first in all we do, and uh, just bless the energy of us and the people out there and allow, allow your message to be through us. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, today is their 46th, 46th wedding anniversary. Good God Almighty. Thank you. Hold your applause to the end. We took a trip on the Staten Island Ferry, a little ocean voyage on the Staten Island, to Staten Island. All right. (laughs) And as we walked in the streets of Staten Island, what did we discover in the gutter? But an angel broken in seven pieces. When we both discovered this, I turned to him who was not my husband at the time. And I said, it's an omen. It's a sign, I'm to marry you, of all people. Ruth And I did. I married him, and Sunday is our 46th wedding anniversary. I put that angel back together again. But after I did, we found the original, of which there may be thousands of them. The original's rather stiff. Mine is kind of graceful. Uh, So that's why we call this Broken Angel. (laughs) vandalized and lying in the street, and I'm putting it back together again better than it was. Putting it back together again better than it was. That's what Christianity is all about. God wants to heal you. God wants to make you whole. Take all the brokenness in your life and put it back together again. So you've got these cards. If you need a pencil, we've got pencils up here. I just want to give you freedom to let God minister to you in this time. The worship team's gonna be singing a song. If you want, you can stand and sing along or you can sit and think or be angry or whatever you need to do. Let God meet you in this moment and provide some healing in your life.